Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. We welcome you once again to another episode of Now Appalachia. We are distributed through the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network all across the country and all throughout the world. I'm your host, Elliot Parker, and it's great to have you with us as we bring you another outstanding author from Appalachia and talk about their work and how the region and the connections to the region influence and impact their work. And I'm so delighted to bring back a return author to our program for this episode of Now Appalachia. She was with us a number of years ago when her outstanding novel came out. It was called uh, Songbirds and Stray Dogs, and she is back with a collection of short stories, 16 short stories told from the points of view of women. It is called Here in the Dark. Uh, it is a wonderful collection of stories that is so much about characters navigating things like loss, like grief, like poverty, like neglect. Uh, some of them are uh, interesting in that they are very dark, but they also have uh, good themes of hope and good themes of perseverance against a variety of different circumstances. The author of this brand new collection of short stories here in the dark is Megan Lucas. She's back with us again here on the program, and it's been a while since we've had her on the program, but we're so glad to have her back. She is the author of the award-winning novel Songbirds and Stray Dogs. She's also the executive in charge of Reckon Review, and she also teaches creative writing at Robert Morris University, and she currently lives in Western North Carolina. So Megan, welcome back to Now Appalachia. It's great to have you here, and I'm so excited to talk to you about your new book. So good to see you. Good to talk with oh, you. Oh, great to talk to you too, Elliot. I'm so thrilled to be here and chat with you. Me too. I, I, I've i been following you. We've been friends a long time. I've been following you on <laughs> social media for a long time, and I knew these, these stories and this collection of stories was in the pipeline for a while. And it's been so much fun to watch you uh, put this together and to see it through its various stages of, of writing and revision and finally publication. So my first question to you is sort of tailored along that line in that uh, you wrote a novel first, which was just wonderful. And, and we talked about it a couple of years ago when it came out, Songbirds and Stray Dogs. Now you come back with a collection of short stories. So my question is, how was it different putting together 16 short stories for this book, as opposed to writing your first book, which was primarily a novel. What was the process like? How was it similar or different uh, in terms of the writing and revision with the short story collection, as opposed to uh, the novel with Songbirds and Stray Dogs? It's funny, you know, because short stories, I, I like to be working on both of them at the same time. Like I usually have a novel project on the go, like I, I do right now. Um, but then I, when I get bored or when I get stuck, you know, or, or, um, you know, writer's block hits me, then I'll, I'll sort of move over to a short story. And, and I feel like it kind of, um, it's refreshing, you know, almost like jump in the pool that you, you get to try something new and, um, both pieces, I think benefit from, uh, being able to kind of switch back and forth, but it's funny, you know, what, what's strange about short stories is that like, this collection has the first story I ever published in it um, from like 2016 and, and, you know, stories all the way up to 2022. And so I feel like when I read it, um, I, I can hopefully see myself growing through the stories, but it's a weird sort of um, need to, you know, when, 
when you have a collection, you also don't like publish every story that you've written in the last, you know, six years or whatever. Um, I, I was watching what Shotgun Honey was doing and I loved um, some of the work that was coming out of there, Chris McGinley um, and uh, Bill Solden, especially. They both are, are Appalachian, but gritty and um, Shotgun Honey was just treating their work with such respect. And so I, I knew that I had these stories, these Appalachian crime stories um, that I could put together. And, uh, and so it's, it's kind of weird. I think it's almost like making a mixtape, right? Instead of uh, writing a novel, which everything is super focused. Um, but I, I guess too, like when I'm writing short stories, I am, I may be a little bit more willing to try something new, like experiment a little bit. And I don't, I know you write short stories and novels too. And I don't know if, you know, it's the same where, you know, a novel takes so many years and, and you're stuck with those, you're stuck with, <laughs> or you live with those characters for so long that, um, you know, when, when you're trying something new or there's, you know, maybe like a, something extra dark that you've thrown into the novel, you really are stuck with it for a long time. Whereas with like a short story, it's, you know, more of a month to two months with that, like really dark storyline or that kind of strange idea. So I, I'm finding that the short stories in Here in the Dark um, are maybe a little riskier, both in subject matter and in craft. You know, like I, I tried to use some uh, elements of horror, which I certainly have never done in a novel before. So yeah, I, I think it's a little, it's a little riskier, maybe. Yeah, very good. The short story, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something about the short stories too, about uh, as you were saying, you know, with a novel, you spend so much time with these characters and you have an arc where all of these characters uh, maybe meet other tertiary characters along the way, but there's a core group of folks that we follow all the way through. But in a short story, you know, you're with them for 3,000 to 7,000 words and then we're on to something else. So there's there's something nice about, you know, having a nice intense window with these characters, but then getting to move on uh, and kind of go in a different direction, which is really great. But you've got 16 stories in this collection. We talked about some of the themes in the intro. Uh, that you've got a lot of characters that that are navigating a, a, a lot of really tough circumstances. But I was reading an interview that you gave um, uh, with an outlet in Pittsburgh, and I wanted to ask you about what you meant by this, because I thought it really ties into some of the themes uh, and what's going on here, in that these characters are involved in crimes of the everyday variety. And I love that phrasing, and I love that description. Well, what did you mean by that? Crimes of the everyday variety, and how does that kind of carry over to uh, the, the characters in your stories and what happens to them and what they're up to. Well, you know, what's really interesting about crime, and I think if you're trying to write realistic stories, which is what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to just capture the people around me. What's really interesting about crime is that most crime is actually property crime. Um, it's not, you know, serial killers and, uh, you know, these big, like, planned first degree murder type crime like that's not what most crimes are most crimes are uh property crime and usually driven by either drug addiction or um the need to get money to purchase drugs and so they're kind of small crimes right they're not uh and and sometimes they're they're crimes that become larger because of poor decisions uh that were made or by accident um but you know i think most of the time that crimes are committed, it's it's the kind of these boring, uh, you know, just property crimes. 
so the crime itself isn't very interesting, but I think the the surrounding ripples that it causes are. And so that's what I kind of wanted to write about was less the, you know, the crime and, and more what happens to the people who, um, you know, are affected by the crime, but the perpetrators, but also, you know, there's some law enforcement people in the book and there's some people who are victims and, uh, you know, those kind of ripples that happen in your life. Um, I think are, are really more interesting than, you know, the really dumb crime itself. Sure. And I love there's a, there, there's an element of this concept or theme or notion that you never know how you're going to respond in a situation until it happens to you. Because uh, we talked about, you know, characters in your stories that are navigating loss and grief. And we'll get into some of more of the specific stories in a minute. There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of neglect. There, there's abuse featured in these stories. Some of these characters are battling addiction. Um, some characters are just being kind of ignored or they're involved in relationships with other people that just kind of shrug their shoulders at their existence. But but I love that you, through all of that, you have characters that make really smart decisions when they're faced with these circumstances. You have characters that make really some, some really stupid decisions that you, leave you scratching at your head and thinking, why, why would you do that? Um, and then some characters that really step up and rise up to the moment uh, when those circumstances arise, even if uh, what they ultimately do is, is is questionable, certainly morally and maybe ethically. Um, but I love that notion that that your characters, we don't really know kind of what they're what they're going to do until they're faced with these circumstances. And I'm I'm wondering to, when you said a moment ago, you really wanted this to seem realistic, like that these were people that, you know, could be in your community or could be in your state or could be in, in Appalachia for that matter. Um, were you trying to connect those those two concepts together when you were crafting these stories, making these people real, but but also that notion of, you know, you, you think you would respond in this way, given the circumstance, but maybe you would respond differently when it actually happens to you. Well, I think that's, you know, one of the fun parts about creating characters, right, is is they kind of take on their own agency. And uh, and so, you know, sometimes the characters do what I would have done. And sometimes the characters do what I wish I would have done. Um, you know, and, and sometimes the characters, especially the really bad decision ones, are, um, you know, making a decision that I've seen um, in, in my community and it, that I thought was particularly bad but yeah that you know the idea that we all um when we're put on the spot we never know I think that's where you discover what kind of character you really have you know like we can kind of all plan ahead uh but when you're put on the spot that's that's really um when it comes out what you're what you're really like and so you know I think you need a variety um, also, I think we talked about this with songbirds that I am not a native Appalachian, I am an adopted Appalachian. And so I'm really careful um, that I don't want any of my characters to feel like stereotypes. I want them to feel like real people. And so I think when when we want them to be nice and round and feel like they're neighbors, you know, some of our neighbors make great decisions and some of our neighbors make really terrible. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, very true. Absolutely. So I want to ask you about, about a couple of the stories, and I wish we had time to get to, to all 16, but um, a couple that really stood out to me. One of my favorite ones was Buttons. Um, and I think one of the things we, we see with a lot of your female characters uh, in some of these stories is that they're put at great peril, uh, either emotional peril, physical peril, uh, psychological peril, sometimes a mix of those two or sometimes all three. And I feel like that really resonated in Buttons. Uh, which is a story about a, a little girl who's kind of lonesome and kind of by herself, um, who lives with her grandmother. They're kind of out in, in, in a rural location. Um, 
and and she goes into the play. She, she plays at a playground. She has you know woods that are kind of uh, her playground as well. Uh, plays in the creek. You know has sort of that that rural lonesome child experience. Um, and her name's Tilly, but uh, she meets an older boy and uh, kind of kind of comes onto the scene in the story. And then things change for her. Can can you talk a little bit about about Tilly as a character and about that 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 whole notion of uh, meeting sort of someone that is is different from you, a little older than you, because as we were talking about before we uh, started recording the interview, I felt like I, I knew some of these kids, I, the, the older boy. I, I remember some of those kids growing up. I remember them being in my neighborhood and, and going to school with these kind of kids. So can you tell us a little bit about that story, about, about this meeting that uh, Tilly and this older boy have and kind of what changes for her as a result? Sure. You know, um, that story started with a prompt from Cowboy Jamboree. They uh, they wanted stories that that the theme was a squint. And I, I thought that's a really weird word. Um, and then I there's a, a storyline in that about uh, pug dogs. And I happen to have a pug dog. And so I started sort of started there with thinking about my dog. And then I started thinking about the dog I had growing up. And um, I grew up in a really rural community in northern Ontario. And my brother and I, we had one an outdoor childhood, you know, where your parents just kicked you outside in the morning and said, you know, come home for dinner kind of thing. But we had a family next door uh, that had a lot of boys and they were just not very nice boys. And uh, so we, you know, when we were playing in the woods, my little brother and I, we would kind of come across these boys who felt like they just ran everything um, and it just, it made me really nervous to ever go in the woods by myself because they just were, were bossy in that like really um, just creepy kind of way. Like you, you knew that they were just really used to getting their own way. And, um, and I just, I hated that and I hated them. And I, and I, so I wanted to kind of play with that, but then also I think probably you have too. I've run into that same boy as a man later in life, you know, and it's, it's the same thing when I'm, you know, you know, in a parking lot and some random guy <laughs> has the sort of same attitude or at an airport or at a bar that there's just, there's these people. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times they're, they're men who just have this incredible confidence that they're going to get away with whatever they want to. And, and you're going to just do what they say, even if it hurts you. Um, and because I think I was this, you know, quiet, bookish, I know that's hard to imagine, me being this quiet, nerdy, bookish kid who was kind of scared, um, you know, I just avoided going in the woods because I I didn't want to ever bump into them. But Tilly is uh, is stronger than me. She, she does what I wish that I could have done, um, which is, you know, stand up to him now. She's maybe make some poor decisions with with how she stands up to him maybe you know not for sure but um she just yeah she's a stronger person than me and and I really love being able to write that especially with writing a child character like giving it this child character all this strength that that I don't know that I have now but I certainly didn't have as a child um uh, I also was I hope like I was I was channeling you know Saint Flannery with that story and I really wanted it to feel kind of that creepy, you know, lurking ominousness, you know, that, uh, 
that we that we love so much from her work i think you can feel it in that story that like shit's gonna happen even Mm -hmm. between these two kids yeah absolutely and along that theme of of sort of a, a dangerous male or a suspicious male kind of popping up Two other stories, Porchlight Salvation and, and Hell or High Water, kind of take us even even darker down that path in terms of uh, men's relationship with women, in terms of those two stories deal with uh, abusive relationships. And, and one of the things I loved about those two stories is that um, we don't necessarily see the abuser. We don't necessarily see the man kind of entering the stage of the story. Um, it's it's almost like the, the 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 female characters in those stories are kind of dealing with the aftermath of what happened to them. Um, is that something that that you wanted for 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 those stories, or you wanted some of those stories to have that that connection, or or did it just kind of happen as you were drafting? How did that come to be that you were that you kind of left the men off the page in terms of being central characters, but what they did and said to these women had such a significant impact. Well, Porchlight Salvation is is the first story that I ever wrote. So I definitely like was just 100% winging it craft wise, you know. Um, but I, I liked how it turned out that we only ever saw um, their relationship through her eyes and through her daughter's eyes. And the fear that they had of him uh, was in was entirely, you know, memory there. None of the none of the action happens on screen, like we like to say, right? Um, and then the the same with Hell or High Water that with, with that story, I was a little bit more developed as a writer. And I, I intentionally didn't include the man because I wanted to play with that, this idea of, um, being believed, you know, I think so often women, um, who are in abusive relationships are not believed, um, especially by, uh, you know, people who are close to them because they they also witness how, you know, the the partner acts in public and and usually it's not abusive. Um, and so I, I thought it was kind of interesting to play with that idea that the, the abused women are the only voice that we get to hear in the story. And so we have to, we're sort of forced to believe them because they're the only ones who get to talk. And uh, I just thought that was kind of fun to play with. I also just, I, you know, I don't like abusive men and I didn't want them to have any way to defend themselves. Fair enough. Fair enough. We're talking with author Megan Lucas today on Now Appalachia. She's the author of the brand new short story collection that is just absolutely terrific. It's called Here in the Dark. She is also the author of the award-winning novel Songbirds and Stray Dogs. And so Megan, we'll come back to the book in just a second. But I wanted to ask you something about uh, one of the things I I love about you, one of the many things I love about you, and that is your support of other writers. And I know that this is something you've been doing for a long time and you do it in a variety of different ways. You post uh, short reviews on your Instagram page, and, and we'll get all your socials uh, here in just a little while. But you post things on your Instagram page, on social media. You, you're, you're referencing other authors, mentioning books constantly uh, by authors that you loved or that influenced or inspired you. Uh, you know, as a writer, uh, as a teacher, as a professor, um, why is that important to you? Uh, specifically, and then why is that important? Maybe on a more a global level, in terms of uh, promoting and talking about other writers and, and the great books that are out there. How, how does that? Why do you do it personally? And then how does that uh, sort of have a ripple effect, maybe more globally? Sure, I I'm just a a big reader, and that's what I was before I was a writer, and so I just love books. And so I want people to read books, and they don't have to be my books. I you know I want them to enjoy all of the books that I'm enjoying. Um, 
And so I, you know, I just, that's, I think just sort of like part of sharing your hobby, you know, like people who post pictures of their plants or their cooking or whatever, like I'm just into books. And so that's what I'm sharing, you know, as I became a writer, it was, it was also like, I got further encouraged to do that because I realized how nice it feels when other people do that about my work. And so I thought, oh, this is really, this is really lovely. Like this is, you know, I'm enjoying posting this picture of this book or sharing how much I liked it or, or, you know, um, but also like when I'm on the receiving end of that, it feels really good. So it was just sort of, you know, uh, a snowball effect, I guess. I think, you know, globally, we run into this idea sometimes where writers are, I think, mistaken to think that we're in competition with each other, that readers are just going to buy one book. And that's not ever, I think, how it works. Um, I think we all rise together. And um, if somebody is reading a book, that I'm just happy that they're reading a book. And I'm much better at talking about other people's books than my own. So if I'm way more comfortable, you know, selling your book to people, you know, and you sell my book to people, then we're all in balance and everybody's books get sold. You know, when what the problem Johnny's book and Johnny's selling Johnny's book, then nobody's selling my book. You know, I'm still going to just keep trying Johnny's book because they rather talk about someone else's book than my own. But I I really just do believe that we need to just encourage people to read, right? And and to find the right book. And maybe my book isn't the right book for that reader. And that's cool. I just want them to read a book. And so, you know, whatever they tell me they're into, I mean, I can recommend something and put it in their hand. And um, and if if they leave reading, then I'm I'm happy. And maybe that's the teacher, you know, in me. <laughs> but I, you know, just, I want people in bookstores. I want people buying books. And if it's my book, cool. And if it's not my book, whatever, but just leave with a book. Yeah. Very well said. Very well said. So what are you reading now? Uh, either recently, cause I know you're a voracious reader or, or what's on your to be read stack that you can't wait to get to. Oh gosh. I have a monstrous to be read stack. Uh, I am right now on my bedside table is David Joy's new one. Um, the ones we thought we knew. I'm going to mess his title up. I always mess up David's titles. Um, It's fabulous. Um, I love, I love his work. Um, I'm listening to Eli Craner's Ozark Dogs Mm -hmm. and he narrates it, which is awesome. Uh, So, so cool. Um, I, I love um, Seidel Creek by Jolene McElwain. It's, it's this really beautiful collection um she's from pittsburgh or just north of pittsburgh and and so it's this like really it's this appalachian feel that i'm not really used to you know because i'm here in southern appalachia and so it's interesting kind of comparing uh the differences and in a lot of ways her life in northern appalachia is so much more like where i grew up in in northern ontario but oh god yeah so so many books so many (laughs) books but yes i you know i love to to read i'm trying to think if there's anything else what's what's under david's book on my nightstand but there's like a whole pile of them so yeah yeah spoken like a spoken like a true reader and oh, writer. God. <laughs> oh, God. Right. the never-ending to be read pile which never goes away <laughs> the never-ending right but that's just that's insurance right uh my publicist lauren says that you know in the event of an apocalypse 
if you have a big library, you have not only entertainment, but also fuel. So it's win-win. Which... Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's a great way. I've never thought about it that way. Right. I just, I have to convince way. my husband of that. <laughs> yes. Yes. When the credit card bill comes yes. in and it's like, why, why don't we spend $200 on books last month? Right. Fantastic. Right. That's great. We're speaking with Megan Lucas on this episode of Now Appalachia. She's the author of the brand new short story collection. It's called Here in the Dark. So we'll go back to, to the stories because I wanted to ask you about another one. And again, I wish we had time to go through them all. But uh, another one that really, really caught my attention um, was one called You Know What They Say About Karma. When we were talking earlier about characters making uh, bad decisions and some characters making good decisions, we've got a lot of characters in this story making some really dumb decisions. Uh, and it also involves uh, Chekhov's gun, uh, which mm -hmm. is kind of a historical slash literary trope uh, that's just getting ready to go off. I mean, it's just getting ready to, to go uh, to, to, to explode at any time. Um, what's going on in that story? Who, who's involved and, and what were you hoping? What do you hope is sort of the takeaway for the reader when they get to the end of that story? Because when, when I finished reading that, I thought about that, what happened in that story for a long time. And, and I still think about it when I think about your book. And it, so what were you what were you hoping to that the reader would take away from that particular story? Well, that story was inspired by actual events that happened in my town. Although I've, you know, I've changed stuff to protect the guilty actually uh, but we have a uh, it's a story of Brittany uh, a really hard-working uh, used to be single mom um, to a small boy named Jamie and she just she works really hard but she doesn't have a lot of money and um, things are difficult her baby daddy Jamie's dad Kyle has just gotten out of jail and he's been gone for a few years um, and he's trying to sort of find his way in the real world, you know, where he, you know, he doesn't know where anything is anymore. His town has changed. Technology has changed. People have changed. There's different songs. He's just totally outside of his element. And, oh, wait, they had a baby when he went in. And now, you know, the baby is a toddler and or, a, you know, a small boy. And so he's trying to figure out how to be a dad, too. And so, you know, I. <clears throat> they both make really terrible decisions. Uh, as you mentioned, there's a gun um, and a small child, which is terrible, um, in, you know, in proximity to each other. But I wanted, you know, them both to be also really identifiable. You know, like all of the feelings that Brittany has are feelings that I've had, you know, frustration with my partner that he's not doing more, frustration that we don't have money, frustration that I'm working so hard that I don't have time to keep up with my appearance, you know, frustration that I maybe have invested a lot of time in a relationship that isn't good for me. You know, all of those things I think are, are feelings that we can all identify with, except that she makes like a really poor decision on how to fix it. And the same, the same with Kyle, you know, the, the idea of like, he's just, he's really struggling on how to, how to be a dad and he just doesn't know how, but he's trying. And, you know, he has this responsibility to try to support his family financially, but he's also a felon. And so nobody's giving him a chance. And so, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to be good and he's trying to do things, but society has kind of boxed him into a closet of how he's allowed to do those things. And so, you know, as a result of, you know, society's boxes that they've put him in, but also his own poor choices, we end up, uh, you know, in a situation where uh, the gun goes off, right? And uh, and things are, are never the same. And uh, I just, I guess 
I guess I was hoping with, with, you know, you know, what they say about karma and, um, and really every other story that I write is that the reader feels an empathy for a person who made a decision that they think that they wouldn't have made, you know, that they can see themselves um, in the character, maybe in some of the, you know, desires that the character has or, or problems that the character has, that they can feel some sort of connection so they can build an empathy. But understanding that we, we don't all make the same decisions under pressure, like you were mentioning before, and that, you know, sometimes we make great decisions and sometimes we make terrible ones. But if, I think if you can feel a connection to the motivation for those decisions, you can maybe try to understand how things went wrong and, and feel a little bit for the character. You know, I, I do anyway, for, for those two characters um, at the end, you know, even though they both made such terrible decisions that have ended so very poorly, um, I still feel like I can, I can see myself in both of them and I can understand how things went so shitty so fast. Yeah, absolutely. And I was so thrilled with, one of the last story I wanted to ask you about before we run out of time, I was so thrilled to get to uh, the story that the title of the collection is based on here in the dark, because one of my favorite characters, Cora comes back <laughs> yes. and we see her in that story. Cora was uh, one of your uh, wonderful characters from your first novel, Songbirds and Stray Dogs. And when I got to that story and saw she was there, I was like, yes, Cora is back. <laughs> so uh, what made you decide to, to, put a story in this collection revisiting that character from your first novel? Well, it was book clubs, really. You know, I I was, I I did a lot of book clubs for Songbirds and they always wanted to know why Cora made the bad decisions that she did. Um, and I felt like maybe she didn't get enough screen time in Songbirds for people to understand the sort of pressures that she was under that led her to make the bad decisions that she did. Also, there's a, there's a question that we're all left with at the end of songbirds, what's in the box. And uh, I just thought it would be really fun to answer that. And so, um, you know, Cora is a, a difficult character because she's really not like me at all. Um, but I, I felt like she needed some more time. And, uh, and as I sort of let her percolate and develop, um, I realized that, that maybe she is more like me than I thought. And, uh, and it was fun to sort of explore her saucier sides um, that we didn't get to see in, in the novel. Great. Uh, excellent. And I'm, I'm so glad to, to hear that. And I'm so glad to see her pop up in one of your stories because she's just one of my favorite, one of my favorite characters. And that was great to have another opportunity to spend a few more pages and minutes with her. So I was glad to see her resurface in the collection. So in our final moments with you, uh, Megan, today, if uh, anyone wants to stay in contact with you, follow you on social media, check out uh, what you're up to, your book tour, your recommendations for things that you're reading that you've loved, where can they uh, find you on social media? And then secondly, where can they get copies of Here in the Dark? Sure. I am I'm on all of the socials, unfortunately. Uh, if they want to go to my website, they can find links to all of all of the socials. Um, it's MeganLucas.com and Megan, you know, a spell beard. Thank you to my parents, M-E-A-G-A-N, Lucas.com. Um, but I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and Blue Sky and Threads and 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 right. Um so yeah, that's probably the best way. They can also, I have an event listing there um, and I have like 12 or 13 more events left uh, touring for this book. So I'd love to see their faces at a local indie bookstore would be great. 
Um, you can buy Here in the Dark almost anywhere. Uh, you can get it uh, barnesandnoble.com or Amazon, but your local indie can get it for you. Uh, if you live in the Southeast, it's quite possible that they already have it, but they're always, always willing to order a book for you. Uh, you can also get, um, there's a limited edition hardcover. Uh, you can get that from the Shotgun Honey website uh, and it is signed and numbered and there's only a hundred, which is kind of cool. I've never been in hardcover before. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. A great honor. And uh, <clears throat> if you're like me and you love hardcover books, no offense to, to paperback, but you'd rather have the hardcover book, um, then certainly jump on that opportunity for sure, for sure before uh, those copies sell out. The title of the book is Here in the Dark a collection of uh, 16 stories by award-winning author Megan Lucas. She's been joining us here today on Now Appalachia to talk to us about uh, this outstanding collection of stories. Um, just a wonderful collection. Uh, every story is going to leave you on the edge of your seat. Every story is going to leave you thinking long about the characters and the circumstances uh, after that story is over, after you've turned uh, the page, going from one story to the next. She's also the author of the award-winning book, Songbirds and Stray Dogs. Uh, Megan, congratulations on this great, great collection of stories. Um, they're wonderful. They really, really pull the reader in, and I think they give us a lot to think about uh, as we turn the pages. So congratulations. Uh, best of luck to you as you finish up your book tour. Uh, and as you keep writing and keep having things going on in your life, we'd love to have you back uh, on the program to talk about it. So thanks so much for the conversation. Thank you, Elliot. We want to take a moment as we finish up here on this episode of Now Appalachia to give a special shout out to the executive producer of our program. Her name is Pam Stack. These episodes and podcasts would not be possible without the work that she does behind the scenes to bring them to you, not just here on Now Appalachia, but on all the podcasts that you enjoy and listen to on the Authors on the Air Global, Global Radio Network. So thanks so much, Pam, for what you do. We also want to remind you this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.com. ElliotParker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.